Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about Chinese spying, which is really probably not surprising to anyone. But I've got to tell you, you will be shocked by the end of this episode as to how severe the Chinese spying system is. It's called the social credit system. Well, that's what they call it. But essentially, it is just spying on its people willy-nilly, like one billion of them. Is it one billion? Yeah, it's 1.4 billion. 1.4 billion. (laughs) It it, it is mind-boggling how their little tentacles have gone out to be in control, to maintain in this digital era, control of their population, Keith, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's an incredible development. So China is leading the world in um, artificial intelligence, in AI, right? And, in fact, it now has more patents per year than the United States, which likes to see itself as the leader in innovation. So a patent is when you're protecting your own intellectual property, right? So the Chinese are now generating so much intellectual property that they are now having more patents brought out than the Americans. One of the areas in which they are innovators is in what's called artificial intelligence. So artificial intelligence means you're mobilising the power of computers. So in the case of China, they are mobilising what's called facial recognition technology, and they're also linking it up to the fact that it's become a cashless society, and they have a database of every Chinese person. Right, so there are the three key factors. So facial recognition technology, you have cashless society. So every time you spend a dollar or whatever in China, that is being measured, right? No cash. And then thirdly, a database where everybody is listed. So you can actually reconcile a person's health records with their criminal record, with their transport record, whatever. So it's a fully controlled society that we see now in China. It'll be fully running by the year 2020. And so if you, um, uh, for example, get the, when the system gets up and running um, and you go out and you buy some diapers, right, so that's, the government notices that you get an increase in social credit because clearly you're a parent and they want to encourage parenting. On the other hand, if they see you're spending too much time watching pornography, then you are losing points, right? So this is the, social, this is the credit element. Right? You start off with, say, 100 points and you go up or you go down. If you go down too low, then it means that you will, ma- will not be able to make bookings for railway tickets or airline tickets. Very interesting. So if you go down really low in that social credit system. So every year, for example, you've got to go back to your ancestral village. You've got to put flowers on the grave of your, your ancestors, etc. You won't be able to do that because you will not be able to buy a ticket to go on the train. It's just terrible, though. I know know? it is, yeah. How do they justify it? Well, they are justifying it because they're saying, look, it's a way of controlling society, getting (laughs) rid of unruly people. Um, And there is within the recognition of the Chinese, the tribal uh, tribal memory, a period when China was very destabilised. Remember, if you you look back over 2,000 years of, of of world history, Right, so you have countries that rise up and down. My own feeling is that America is going down. Right, so we're going through a period of rise and fall of countries. If you look over that two thousand year period, a large slab of it, in economic terms, was dominated by India and China. 
And then China fell apart through what's called the Warring States period, and India got colonised by the Europeans, originally the French and then later by the British. So what we're seeing are both countries now emerging, getting back to their old positions of power. So it's actually the return of China, not the rise of China. China is going back to where it used to be. But the Chinese remember the time when the warlords were busy fighting among themselves. There was chaos within China. Therefore, they are very supportive of anything that maintains order. And so for that reason, they are willing to sacrifice ideas of privacy for the greater good of maintaining national stability and national security. So who do they find, who do they identify as being the, the unruly types? Well, the unruly types would be those who want to speak out against the government. Remember, we in the West got it wrong. I'm, I, I put myself into this category. A lot of us argued that once the economic revolution got underway in China, so you go back to Deng Xiaoping 40 years ago, so you get Chairman Mao who died in 1976. Three years later, Deng Xiaoping becomes the new leader and begins this magnificent process of reform with China. And so a number of us were saying, well, look, as China reforms and becomes more middle class, so it'll have more of an interest in democracy. And so you'll get the free flow of ideas, free media, et cetera, because this is what we have seen happen in South Korea, Taiwan, Indonesia, Philippines. These were fascist dictatorships that have become democracies. So we would see the same thing happening within communist China, that in the fullness of time, it, it's what's called what Maslow called the hierarchy of needs. If you can imagine a triangle. So the base of the triangle are things like food and shelter, clothing, etc. And then you work up to the top of the triangle. At the top, you've got self-actualization, right? So that's when you're thinking for yourself. So the argument is that a number of us political scientists have made that as societies get richer, where people are able to uh, think about other things, they will ultimately decide, well, we want to ha have a say in how the country is governed, right? As societies get richer, so they move towards becoming democracies. We got that wrong with China. So China... It's certainly richer than ever before, but it's not flowed through into political change. It is not a democracy. It's not a free society. Indeed, President Xi is now president for life. Oh, God. I know. So they're getting rid of this rotation of Chinese leaders. He's in for good. Um, and so we're actually seeing China, in political terms, go backwards. And so a lot of the Chinese are saying, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing providing we continue to receive economic benefits. And so we will put up with this erosion of privacy because we know we're going to continue with economic growth. So what happens because there's, uh, there's been a bit of contention around minority groups there who are not given status because they're simply yeah, a minority group. That's right. And this particularly applies to the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, which is the far western part of China. And so these are people who are now being submerged by Han Chinese, that's the majority population, you've now got those people moving west. So this is part of the infrastructure revolution. The Chinese have built magnificent railways. Well, that also takes you into Tibet and it takes you into Xinjiang. And that's the way in which the Han Chinese will move west. And so if you were to have a plebiscite on whether or not Tibet should become independent, well, the Han Chinese will vote according to Beijing. So it's no good those of us who've campaigned about in Tibetan independence talking about having a vote now because you've got so many Hun Chinese. And, of course, the Tibet is the birthplace of the Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama. Mm. And so uh, just moving north of Tibet, you've then got the Turkic area, the Uyghur people, who are, who are not Chinese. They're, they're Turkic. 
So they are also people who do not like to be run from Beijing. Uh, so these are also people who are badly treated as well, but they're going to be caught up in the social credit system. And not being given good ratings simply because they're Uyghurs. That's right. Or they can earn it if they're going out and buying diapers, etc., and buying library or getting library books or whatever. You can earn your way up that list. So it's not going to be the algorithms are not going to be saying specifically you are a bad person just because of your ethnic group. But so, and um, something on the news I saw a few weeks ago, um, they were doing a profile of some of these Uyghurs and they said that they, that they were taken downstairs by local Chinese police and that every element of their, fo- their face was photographed or mm. was filmed. So from every direction they had to smile, they had to frown so that the surveillance could pick up no matter what state they were in and walking along the street or wherever they're being filmed, but the, the, the surveillance system could tell who they were. Absolutely. And it's not just Uyghurs, of course, but it no. just, it's all part of this uh, giant database which has been created. So, um, as I say, they've, they've managed to run together a cashless society, so no money. Everybody does things on swipe cards or whatever or their mobile phones. They can track everything. They track everything. Uh, it's very interesting, you know, it shows, you know, the distant past. Uh, 50 years ago, head of FBI was asked, what would you most like to have as a way of being able to reduce crime? And um, Hoover said, I would love to know how people are spending their money as soon as they spend it. And, of course, that's what we've now got. So then the cashless society is, is the manifestation of that because you're, you're not paying cash, everything's electronic, travelling literally at the speed of light so you can monitor where people are, what they're spending. Link it up to these databases. So, you know, the census data, your health data, your criminal records, your travel records, etc. And then link it up with having this facial recognition technology, which I find intriguing because you often get these racist comments about, oh, I can't tell these Chinese, they all look the same to me. Well, the Chinese have developed facial recognition technology where they can tell the difference <laughs> between 1.2 billion people. That's all right. My gosh. I mean, just the thought of that. Um but, of course, with all this comes a lot of privacy issues as well, Keith. Forget privacy. That era is gone. Really? I like, think so. There's no argument for it because that's what people always, even when you talk about surveillance in Australia. Or, yeah. um, but here's another quick point. I'm finding myself deviating, but stay with me. London or England is one of the most highly surveilled right. countries in the world. Why is it different to China? Um, well, because they haven't yet, haven't yet, linked up all those different databases, right? So they, they, they certainly can monitor people, and it's very useful in the case of, say, the terrorist bombings, that you can monitor people, but they haven't link, necessarily linked them yet to their... Well, for a start, they haven't abolished cash in the United Kingdom, so you still get people carrying cash around. So they haven't linked, it, haven't linked up all the databases. Once you do that in the United Kingdom, and there's no attempt at the moment, I'm sure there are a lot of people who would love to see it introduced, but at the moment they have no uh, intention of linking all those databases together. But once you do, then you go on to the China pattern. The other thing which is interesting, I was recently watching a video... Uh, relating to the Republic of Ireland. So they found a body of someone washed up on the beach and the police were able, in that little village where they've got lots of surveillance cameras, to map out all of this visitor's final few days in this little village. So he claimed to have been coming from Austria. Uh, He gave a false name. Um, So the, the... 
they, they, they've got a, a dead person. As in, so they, they went, they see, saw his um, movements and then went and investigated those places he visited. That's right. So they, they found the body, then they worked backwards from there and they found him on all the cameras, et cetera, in the little town as he walked around and his strange mannerisms. But it's interesting that even though they have all that amount of information, huge amount of stuff captured on video cameras, they really couldn't work out much about him. And, and why he had decided to go all that way to Ireland, he was from someone in Central Europe, why he would go to the west coast of Ireland to die. Uh, so really, for me, it was, it was haunting because I spent a lot of time with police forces. You know, we're always trying to work out what people are about. But here you've got someone who is trapped by all these video cameras and yet they couldn't work out the motives. And as I say, the guy was travelling under an assumed name with an assumed address. We're not even sure about his nationality. He spoke with a Central European accent. The hotel staff could remember that. But we know nothing about him. And this, and they've, they've sent out through Interpol pictures of, of him. No one's come forward to say, yes, we knew him in our little town in Austria or Germany or Switzerland or whatever. It's really interesting how, in fact, you can... This fellow, we know once the body was examined, he was riddled with cancer. So he'd obviously decided to die in the Gale Tuck, very pleasant part of Ireland. Um, not No suspicious circumstances, but we just don't know who he is. So the, the Irish police have got this dead body, which they still can't, after a decade, identify. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about this phenomenal situation in China where they have got the most surveilled population on earth and there's 1.2 billion of them and yet the government has got tabs on everyone. They're ele- like they're in a computer system and they just know. They know their health is like that. They, sorry, did you say they've already linked all their... They're, they're linked it together. They will do by 2020 when the system is fully up and running. All those databases will talk to each other. Health, education... criminal um, records... Transport records. So your face will get scanned as you're walking down the street, essentially, and it'll go, and a computer will come up with all your details in whatever office it's being monitored, which is scary. So everyone, they know every, the government know everything about everyone. But let's bring it back to Australia, because at the moment we don't have anything like this, but... We're moving towards it. Yeah, right. So this, this is why I find the Chinese debate so interesting, because if you look back in Australia's history, we had the debate over the Australia card. So... At the time of Malcolm Fraser, there were concerns about so-called welfare cheats. In other words, people who had multiple identities getting welfare at the same time. One person, several welfare packages. And so the people who run this country, not the idiots who entertain us in Canberra, the parliamentarians, but the people who run this country said to the then Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser, what we need is an identity card. Everybody should have an identity card, an ID card. Now, Australia, like Britain, has only issued ID cards during wartime. It's not a peacetime measure. And uh, Fraser tried to introduce what was called the Australia card, and human rights activists like myself opposed that move because we're saying, look, this is what the Europeans do to monitor people, right? This was 40 years ago. And then after uh, Fraser, we get the Hawke government, and there are all sorts of allegations of people not paying their taxation, bottom of the harbour schemes, And again, the deep state comes forward with this idea, well, everybody should have an ID card and we can monitor the tax returns and people come in with their ID cards, right? So this is part of the institutional memory 
within Canberra, right? Politicians come and go. The bureaucrats remain. The files remain. And it is their policy that everybody should have an ID card. Over the years, this is actually what has now happened. And particularly since 9-11, which, you know, we blame Osama bin Laden for it. He may well have been involved in that. But certainly everything has changed in the Western world since 9-11 because it has meant the rise of the national security state, which was set up at the end of World War II in the Cold War era. And the person who set it up later, Harry Truman, later said that was a mistake. But anyway... It's now been set up. It's an industry in its own right, whole security industry in its own right. And since 9-11, uh, it has meant, for example, when you um, want to send a parcel overseas, you have to have an ID card. So, in fact, those of us who have campaigned on civil liberty grounds have really just been worn down because what has happened is that at every twist and turn, we have found ourselves, well, if you want to survive in this country, you've got to carry an ID card. Then, So then it became driver's licences. I don't have a driver's licence. I don't drive. Uh, so what but, do you have? Well, thanks to um, the war on terror, I carry, with the New South Wales government, uh, the Department of Transport issues an ID card, which looks like a driver's licence, uh, but it's not a driver's licence. So we are, we're he, all now with ID cards. You gave in. I gave in because I wouldn't be able to send anything overseas. Otherwise, I was carrying my passport with me. And if you want to board a plane in this country, you've got to have an ID card. All this has come in since 9-11. So what, what I find fascinating is that we are moving down the policy of China. We haven't linked up the databases yet, or at least not officially. But don't forget, during the Australian Bureau of Statistics Survey, everything went on online. It's all there. So you, you got the skeleton of that thing because everybody's been surveyed by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. You've also, of course, got online criminal records and all the rest of it. We are moving towards that China pattern. I found interesting um, an American expert on consumerism has talked about the value of facial recognition technology within stores within the United States. Um, Bob Pritchard has said that retailers lose about $50 billion worth of goods each year to theft. So American stores, um, except in the state of Illinois, where they have explicitly banned this technology, but stores elsewhere, like New York, San Francisco, have got facial recognition technology with a view to being identified potential shoplifters. Mm. So it's coming in on the basis of, oh, we're helping you. We're trying to reduce the shoplifting that goes on. I see. So this is how it creeps up on you. In political science terms, this is incrementalism. Law and order ways. Law and order. Yep, so we've got you scared over security. Remember, mm. terrorism is not a major issue in the United States. More Americans are killed through lawnmowers every year than by terrorist attacks. More <laughs> Americans die in falling off ladders than by terrorist attacks. But nonetheless, we have developed this terror industrial complex and we're actually seeing our civil liberties eroded, but we're doing it because we're, we're saving you from terrorism or we're saving you from having to pay extra money because stores are being, uh, they've had shoplifting and therefore you're paying for the, the goods that the shoplifters are stealing because it's obviously got to have a margin on all goods to cover this. Playing the old fear card. Exactly. And it works. It does. That's why they keep coming back to it. Exactly. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. 
listener.